0: Here we go. Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Punch lines. A joke isn't a good joke unless it has a good punchline. And I don't know about you, but when five and six year olds say, can I tell you a joke? There is no punchline. It just goes on and... Poor Anita. She must have heard one recently. They go on and on and on. Or worse yet, knock, knock. Who's there? Don't answer. Banana. Banana who? Knock, knock. Oh, Lord. How many of us have had to go through that with a child? Like, we don't know. At the end, he's going to say, Aren't you glad I didn't say banana? Oh. But we... We wait for that big finish. We wait for the punchline. We wait for the twist. M. Night Shyamalan has made a career out of making movies with a twist that you didn't expect. Now, the reason that is, is because we as Westerners have a linear view of life. You're born, you live, you die. That's a linear view of life. The world was created, man fell, God intervened, Jesus came, died, and rose again, and at the end of the book, Revelation, the world will be settled and we'll all go to heaven. That's a linear view. Well, what does that look like for us? We wait for the moment that Dorothy learns at the end of The Wizard of Oz. What does she learn? There's no place like home. Ah. Here's one. We wait for the moment that Haley Joe Osman whispers, I see dead people. Right? We wait for that and then all of a sudden the whole movie changes and it makes more sense. Or we wait for Cinderella and the prince to put on the shoe and then they live. Oh, see? We, we share that as a common... A sense of completion. We want to know the end of the story. And when the story doesn't end I, I used to hate these writing prompts in school. You remember that? They would give you the unfinished story and you had to write the ending. Why? And didn't start the story I want to know how the author would end the story. When we don't know how the story ends we can feel lost or confused, frustrated, angry, sad. We want to know. The Western mind wants to know how the story ends. Well, this is where the problem really comes in for us as we read Scripture. Scripture has been translated for us into our language, but it can't really translate for us the idioms that come with the language. There's a really wonderful book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, and it's written by a seminary professor who grew up in Palestine, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and then came back to America. He speaks the language, and he understands the mind. And when a Middle Easterner tells a story, the punchline isn't at the end. It's in the middle. In fact, there, our stories are shaped in a straight line. Theirs are shaped like a pyramid. And you climb up, the pyramid, then there's the punchline, there's the point of the story, the big fact, and then you climb down the other side. So I want you to go back to the parable we read today and I want you to hear first with your western eyes. At the end of the parable, the sinners get punished, new tenants move in, and we all get to live happily ever after in heaven. That's a nice ending to the story. Just nod like this. Because when we hear the story, we are not the owners of the vineyard. We are not those people who deny Jesus. We are not those sinners. We're the saved. The problem is, in Jesus' story, we're all the tenants. We're all the people at the beginning of the story. And as his listeners were listening to the the stoning of the servants and the killing of the servants and the beating of the servants and the ignoring of the contract that had been laid. They were just as mad as when we watched crazy people drive on 295. Vicky and I were driving to church today and there was this Porsche Cayenne, that's their, their SUV. Smack dab this far away from Alexis. And they were doing 90 miles an hour, and I pointed it out, and Vicki said, they're too close together. And then the Porsche pulled out from behind the Lexus, got barely in front of it. We thought it was going to hit it, and then jumped right in front. And we were angry because that's just not right. We, we get angry watching when injustice happens to other people, and we forget sometimes that we are unjust when it comes to our relationships with other people. There are three suppositions I want to discuss in this story. And the first one is this. We should not be surprised that human beings make selfish, violent choices. And it's funny, when we're listening to the parable of the tenants in the vineyard, we're like, well, why would they do that? (laughs) The question isn't why would they do that? We've been sinning, actively sinning, hurting one another for thousands of years. We should not be surprised. In fact, the Mishnah says that if a squatter takes over a house or a business or a vineyard or a farm, if they can take control of it for three years, it belongs to them. Can you imagine somebody breaks into your house and takes over and won't let you back in, and they live there for three years, and now it's their house? That, that's injustice. But that's the mindset I want you to hear of the tenants. That's why they say, let's kill the son and take his inheritance. Because if they could maintain control, if they could be squatters in that vineyard for three years, it would belong to them. The house in which I grew up was next to a milk lane. Now, some of you might not remember the milkman coming and dropping off nice fresh milk in a glass bottle in the in the little steel cage, but the milkman came by our house. And it wasn't a road. It was never paved. And it ran right between our house and the Hamilton's house, and it went by the Zanitages, and it cut through because the milkman would... Take the shortcut. It was a little milk lane. Well, by the time I was seven or eight, guess what? You're buying your milk at the store, and the milkman didn't come by anymore. And one of our neighbors decided to extend their fence, and they just took over their part of the milk lane. And the next neighbor put over theirs, and the milk lane became this little tiny path. And my mother refused. My mother and father refused to take over land that did not belong to them. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a lot older than seven years old now. And guess what? When they came and assessed, all that land that those people took now belongs to them. But that little plot next to my mother's house that she did not fence in still belongs to the township. It's the same idea. We should not be surprised that human beings... (laughs) Make selfish, violent choices. The second presupposition I want to talk about is this. We as a civil society, a society of laws, want the criminals punished so we can feel safe. By the time Jesus got to the middle of the parable, the ire of the listener was as high as it could be. Why is this happening? Why isn't somebody doing something? When Back to 295, when that person passes you going 90 miles an hour... You sort of wish in your heart that a policeman will give them a ticket and that you'll get to drive by and go, ha, 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 they got caught. Why? Because we want to feel safe in a civil society. Jesus' listeners lived in that same environment. Somebody should do something about the tenants is the unwritten phrase here. And the third presupposition presupposition is this. The owner of the vineyard has the right, some would say the responsibility, to punish the usurping tenants. He owns the vineyard, they're breaking the law, he has the right to intervene. In fact, he could have asked the local militia, the army, to go with him, take over, they would have put all the tenants to death and he would have moved new people in. So I want you to feel this. There's anger at the injustice. There's surprise at the um, behavior of the tenants. And by the time Jesus gets to the top of this point, everybody in his listening audience wants the right thing to be done. And the right thing to be done in their minds is to punish the tenants and fix this now. And then here comes the twist. The twist is in the middle of the story. The father, the owner, God himself in the story displays what's called microthymia. By definition, that's when you have the right to exact punishment and you choose not to. In fact, it literally says in the Hebrew, send my son. I'll send my son and they will feel shame in his presence. The owner knows, God knows that we deserve punishment. And yet, his final act of grace is what? I'll send my son. I'll send my son and they'll be ashamed of what they've done and they will turn away from their evil ways. You've heard this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, God is constantly reaching out, even in the story. The twist is that he doesn't do what he should, he does what his heart tells him. King Hussein bin Talel of Jordan heard that there was a group of generals and uh, government officials meeting to plan a violent overthrow of the government, a military coup. In fact, he found out that they were meeting the very evening that he got the news. And the people with him said, let's send the army over there and we'll, we'll fix this right now. We'll, we'll nip it in the bud. And he said, no. He asked for a helicopter. And the helicopter flew him to the top of the building and he landed on the building. And he said, I got this. And with no weapons, he went down and he walked right into the middle of the meeting of the generals and the politicians planning the violent coup. And he said, folks... I know what you're doing and that's why I'm here. And here's my offer, kill me now. He said, kill me now, one person dies, you take over the government and we won't have a coup. He said, I do not want my country to go through that violence. And there was silence in the room as you could imagine. And without a gun and without a weapon and only himself there, One by one, the generals came forward, kissed his hand, and reaffirmed their allegiance to him and to the country, and the coup was stopped. Microthymia. He had the right to punish, and he stood back, and he forgave. We want somebody who's courageous and compassionate and crazy, but God wants somebody who's inviting, investing, And he illustrates for us what the kingdom of heaven looks like. The moral of the story, and I want you to hear this, because it's not written for Western ears. The moral of the story is not the death of the sinner. The moral of the story is the love of God. On this Sunday, while Americans were sleeping, Christians in the Democratic Republic of Kondo Congo left their places of worship to see their pastors take bread in their hands and declare, this is my body. In the Church of the Holy Resurrection in Jerusalem were heard the words, this is my body. In St. Paul's in London, a hush fell across the congregation as the pastor declared, this is my body. In churches and cathedrals across the United States today, Pastors will take bread into their hands and declare, this is my body. In truth, mission stations across the islands of the Pacifics, this afternoon will be uttered, this is my body. This is Worldwide Communion Sunday, and throughout the world, churches of all denominations and all nations in many languages are celebrating the Lord's Supper. And let's be honest, it couldn't have come at a better time. We need this time together to remember that our Lord also suffered, and we need this time to remember that he did so on our behalf, not just for you and for me, but for our neighbors next door, neighbors across the street, neighbors around the world. God so loved the world begins, the most memorable verse of the Bible, and it's true in this war-torn, virus-infected age as it was then. The Lord's Supper teaches us about the necessity of unity. Unity in our need for Jesus. Unity in our belief in Jesus. Unity in our acceptance of Jesus. And unity in the grace we receive because of Jesus. Example in our sharing at the Lord's table and with the Lord's people. I want you to hear this. The twist in the story is the love of God made visible Through Jesus Christ, let's sit together at God's table. Amen.